Welcome to Through the Bible with our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee. I'm your host, Steve Schwetz. And today, we're going to set off on a new journey through the remarkable Old Testament book of Proverbs. So while you hop aboard the Bible bus, Greg and I have got some good news about how God is using his word in home groups in what are really dangerous places that may surprise you. Yeah, Steve, when you say you want to get the whole word to the whole world, it means everywhere. Yep. At least that's our aspiration, and we're trying our best to do that. And it you end up in some very interesting places, and some of them are, I think we just have to call it what it is. There are strongholds of evil in in certain areas of the world, uh, often under the guise of some form of something called religion, but it's really actually, uh, you know, it's it's just a darkness that we're trying to overcome. And so mm. today, we want to talk about the power of God's word in home groups in places like northern India, Bangladesh, and Pakistan. Yeah, and here's a first one. This is a testimony from northern India in Punjab. And by the way, India, all countries kind of ebb and flow in terms of their openness and their hostility towards uh, all things related to the gospel. And you can keep India in your prayers because India is right now going through a phase where they are clamping down more. It is more difficult to be a Christian there. And God is is still using through the Bible in significant ways, and we want you to be encouraged by that. And here's a testimony that shows that. The word of God spoke to me about casting my every burden upon him. At that time, I was really worried about my health and my finances. Then by faith, I submitted everything to Jesus, and Jesus helped me to overcome all situations. Thank you, and please pray for my family that they may also come to know about God's love. Yeah, so powerful. And as you said, the northern part of India, even more than the south, is yeah. particularly strong in persecution and opposition to the gospel. And and so this is why it's such a miracle that God lets us uh, support these home groups, thousands and thousands of home groups. Now, let's go to a different country, which is Pakistan. Mm. Um, and this is an ancient land of Islamic extremes. And and as you hear this testimony, it may sound like a, a normal testimony, but in a context like Pakistan, this is a, a real miracle. Yes. Um, I recently accepted Christ. I mean, let's stop that. In a country like Pakistan, tremendous implications, uh, mm-hmm. tremendous risks for that person, uh, definitely a loss of some job, family, maybe even their life. Yes. Um, so the person goes on, I recently accepted Christ, and I'm growing in my faith. I'm developing my faith and spirituality as a result of listening to you and understanding what God has spoken in his word. I can now share Jesus Christ with my family. Amen. I regularly listen to the inspired word of God, which aids in my understanding of scripture. Wow. Wow. That is wonderful. Now let's move over to a home group uh, uh, that's in Bangladesh. Where, where we've been together. We've yep. been together and sat in the circle with yes. these home group folks. It's amazing. Such an encouragement. It says, even though I grew up in a Christian family, I had no idea about salvation. Actually, I never even heard of salvation. This training I am now receiving is extremely beneficial. I am overjoyed and ecstatic that I have learned as much as I could. I will continue, I promise. And Steve, we have just enough time to squeeze in one more great testimony from a home group in Bangladesh. My radio home group is made up of a total of eight people. I had no idea how to pray before receiving this beautiful media player. Due to my reading disability, I was unable to read the Bible. But after I received the radio, I started using the organized audio Bible classes to teach myself. Hmm. Just by listening to the programs, my life was transformed and I accepted Jesus as my savior. 
Since then, I've learned how to pray. Having a media player is a huge privilege for me. I can express to God all my needs via prayer. This is a blessing from the Lord in my life. It, wow. <laughs> it's <laughs> what, incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. We've, let me go ahead and pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, we are so blessed just by the, the testimonies that we've heard have, as we've seen your Holy Spirit move in people's lives in Pakistan, in India, in Bangladesh. I pray that you would continue to do that, that you would grow those home groups and that people would come to the Lord and that churches would be formed and you would be glorified in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's time to begin our new study in the Old Testament book of Proverbs on Through the Bible. Now, as we come to the book of Proverbs, we are back in one of the books that we classify as the poetry of Scripture. You have Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. They belong in the same package as being written in what is known as Hebrew poetry. But the book of Proverbs is different from any other book. And Solomon is the writer, actually, not only of Proverbs, but of the next three books, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Now, Proverbs is the book on wisdom. Ecclesiastes is the book on folly, of foolishness. And the Song of Solomon is the book on love. And love is the happy medium between wisdom and folly. And believe me, this man Solomon was an expert on all three subjects. You can sure put it down that he was. In fact, doesn't the Word of God make it very clear that that is exactly what this man was an expert in? Let me read for you 1 Kings 4, 32 and 34. And he, that is Solomon, spake 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were a 1,005. Now, we have only one of his songs. He wrote a 1,005. And yet we have very few of his proverbs, to tell the truth. And we're told he spoke of trees from the cedar tree that's in Lebanon, even under the hyssop that springeth out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of fowl and of creeping things and of fishes. And there came of all people to hear the wisdom of Solomon from the kings of the earth, which had heard of his wisdom. Now we're going to listen in this book to the wisdom of Solomon. Now what is a proverb? Well, it's been called sententious sayings, for instance. And here is the definition I'd pass on to you. A proverb is a saying that conveys a specific truth in a pointed and pithy manner. Well, let me give you another one. Proverbs are short sentences drawn from long experience. And that's a good proverb itself. And it's a truth that's couched in a form that is easy to remember, a philosophy based on experience, and a rule for conduct. A proverb, therefore, is a sententious sentence, a maxim, an old saying, an old saw, a a bromide, or an epigram, many of these things. Now, the key verse, I'd like to say, is found here in this first chapter, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, there are some unusual features about 
the book of Proverbs I'd like to talk about today. The Orient and the ancient East are the home of Proverbs. I rather believe that Solomon gathered together many from other sources. He was the editor of all of them, and he's the author of some. And that means that what you have here is an inspired record of Proverbs that are either Solomon's or others, but God has put his stamp upon them. Dr. Thirtle and other scholars noted that there is a change of pronoun in the book from the second person to the third person. We'll note it, by the way, when we get to it. And the conclusions that these scholars came to was that the Proverbs with the second person were taught Solomon by his teachers, and the Proverbs with the third person were by Solomon. In other words, there is a difference, however, between the book of Proverbs and the Proverbs and other writings. For instance, the Greeks were great at making Proverbs, especially the Gnostic poets. I majored in Greek in college, and I took a course that was patterned after the Oxford plan. I just read a great deal of Greek and then reported to my professor, and he would have me read. I reported to him every Monday morning, and I read in the New Testament. In fact, I read the entire Testament through in Greek while I was in college. And then when I got to seminary, of course, we went over it again. But the Gnostic poets was one of the writings that I had to read in Greek. And believe me, they were great at making proverbs. And they were very clever when they were in the Greek language because so many of them are a play upon Greek words. Now, there are some characteristics and features of the proverbs that I think we should note. The first one is, Proverbs bear no unscientific statement or inaccurate observation. For instance, it says, Out of the heart proceed the issues of life. That's Proverbs 4, 23. It was about 2,700 years later that Harvey found that the blood circulates. In contrast, in an apocryphal book, the Epistle of Barnabas, mention is made of the mythological phoenix, a bird that consumes itself by fire and rises in resurrection. It's a fable such as this that does not appear in the book of Proverbs, nor anywhere in the Bible for that matter. It's strange that of all these ancient records, here is a book that contains hundreds of Proverbs and not one of them is unscientific today. You wouldn't find that in any other writing. That in and of itself ought to alert any thinking or intelligent person. Then the second thing is the Proverbs are on a high moral plane. The immoral sayings which occur in other writings, you just won't find them here. For instance, Justin Martyr said that Socrates was a Christian before Christ which, of course, would be an impossibility. But actually, when you read Socrates, you find out that he portrays a high conception of morals according to his admirers. But Socrates also gives instructions to harlots on how to conduct themselves. Well, the best that you can say for him is that he was not moral but unmoral. 
And then the book of Proverbs do not contradict themselves. They're not contradictory. A man's Proverbs today are often in opposition to each other. For instance, look at these. Look before you leap. And yet there's another proverb that says, he who hesitates is lost. And then there's a proverb that says, a man gets no more than he pays for. And then another proverb says, the best things in life are free. They contradict each other. And then there's a proverb that says, leave well enough alone. But over against it, progress never stands still. And then there's another one, a rolling stone gathers no moss. But there's another proverb that says, a setting hen does not get fat. So the proverbs of man, they contradict each other. It's just owing to which one you want to use. Now, the book of Proverbs actually seem to be a collection of sayings without any particular regard for orderly arrangement. You read them, you just think that, well, you've at last found a book in the Bible where you can lift out a verse and let it stand alone, put it in a frame and put it on the wall. I don't believe you can do that even with Proverbs. I think the book tells a story, and we'll notice this as we go through. Actually, it's the picture of a young man starting out in life. And he gets his first lesson in this very first chapter, verse 7. This is the key. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now we begin here with verse 8. Listen to this. My son, hear the instruction of thy father. Forsake not the law of thy mother. Now, you will recall that back in Ephesians, in the sixth chapter, it opened with, Children, obey your parents in the law. This is right, they said. Now, here we have it again in the Old Testament, put in language like this. My son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother. The little fella is to start out as being one obedient to the parents. That's where life begins, by the way, and that's where important lessons are learned. Now, there are two schools that bid for this young man, you see. He grows up in the home. He's to listen to father and mother. There's first teachers. In fact, my mom and dad are God to the little one. I've told this before, but I want to tell you that it made a great impression on me as a young preacher. We were coming across the country. It was during the war, and we wanted to get into California. I had an important engagement, and so we were driving at night. And we got down to Blythe, California, and we went in that the inspection station, and my, how lovely the man was there, the one in charge. He let my wife come in and heat the bottle for the baby, and she was able to feed her. That was a cold night. We came back and got in the car and started out, and we just put her down between us. Didn't have seat belts in those days or a car seat for a child. We just put her down between us, and I never shall forget. It was a bad night, cold night, rainy night. And not too much traffic on the highway, but a narrow highway. And we started out. And she just sat right there. And before long, she just went right off to sleep, leaning right up against her daddy. <laughs> she had utmost confidence in me. And I said at the time, Oh, Lord, help me 
to trust you, my heavenly Father, just like she's trusting me. Now, when a child starts off in home, mom and dad are just like God to the little one. But it's important that mom and dad act like God wants them to act. And so the little fella sent to mom and dad, yeah, my son, my son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Lord. Maybe mom and dad are not Christian. Maybe mom and dad won't bring the little fellow up right. God says, I'm going to hold them responsible. May I say it to you today? God holds parents responsible for the condition of the little folk. And today, we've got a generation that didn't get the right training in the home, and they surely didn't get the right training in the school. And then we wonder today, as one man who has sons, he said to me, he says, God McGee, what's happening to young people today? I had to bite my tongue to keep from telling him. I said, you're what's happened to your own children. There's no question about that. Now, that doesn't mean that every parent has been a failure who has young people that have gotten away. A lot of them get away, but they come back to the Lord if they've been brought up right, and you ought never be discouraged about that. Now, the book of Proverbs tell a story. And after the little fellow grows up, there are two schools that bid for the little fellow to come. They send out their catalog to him. They tell about the advantage of the school. One of the schools is known as the College of Wisdom. The other is known as the College for Fools. And by the way, there are two kinds of colleges today. And I'm not tempting to identify them. In chapter 8, we see the young man. He goes to the Academy of Wisdom, the College of Wisdom. And he's taught in Proverbs. And from chapter 10 through 24, the young man is in the classroom of wisdom. And this is a book that is especially helpful to young men. Many years ago, there was in Dallas a very prominent jeweler. And he was a very fine Christian. I knew him personally. I had him come down and speak to my church when I was pastor in Cleburne, Texas. And this man had the American Bible Society make up the book of Proverbs in a very attractive cover. In fact, it was gold-colored. Well, that would certainly be what a jeweler would want to do, and he sure had a very attractive one. And he literally gave out copies by the thousands to young men all across this country. He'd speak to a group of young men in YMCA's in that day and in other places, and then you'd have a copy of the book of Proverbs given out. Well, the advice that's given in the book of Proverbs, it transcends all dispensation. Doesn't make any difference whether you're back in the Old Testament or in the New Testament or in the New Jerusalem or the Old Jerusalem. This book is a good book for anyone, the little book of Proverbs. I wish I could give it out today to every young man that's in the world today. It'd be wonderful. Somebody says, but there's nothing in there about the gospel. Well, wait a minute. We're going to find it here. The one in this book whose wisdom is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, at the end of the book of Proverbs, I'd want to make that clear. And that was made clear in the book that was given out. The book of Proverbs is not a hodgepodge of unrelated statements. 
nor is it a discourse of cabbages and kings. It is a book that makes sense, by the way, and it makes a whole lot of sense. And that is very definitely the way that it is arranged and organized. Solomon had something to say in this connection. Over in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 9, he says this, "...and moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave good heed, and sought out, and set in order many proverbs." So Solomon was teaching these here. Now, here you have a brief examination of the book which we're going to make. In spite of the fact it's a five-year program, we can't spend the time I'd love to spend in this book. I can highlight certain proverbs, which we shall do. And it doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to pick out the most important or the most popular, but ones that we believe in this type of a ministry should be emphasized. And now here is something that'll make the book of Proverbs a thrilling experience for you. There is a proverb that is a thumbnail sketch of every character in the Bible. And we're going to suggest a few of them. And here's the thing that makes it interesting. There is a proverb that will fit all your friends and all your acquaintances. Maybe some of them, you better not give them the proverb that fits them. But I think there's a proverb that'll fit every one of us, and we can have a good time going through this book. If as you read through, every now and then you'll come to a proverb, and immediately you'll think of Mr. So-and-so or Ms. So-and-so. And believe me, the proverb will fit them exactly. It's interesting that these proverbs should not only fit the characters in the Bible, but our friends and acquaintances today, and it'll show to us how really up-to-date the Word of God is. And that makes this a very interesting book. And it may not make you the most popular person to identify them publicly, but here they are. Now, Solomon wrote 3,000 Proverbs. That's what we read back in 1 Kings 4.32. And we have less than 1,000 in this book. So you can see we don't have all the Proverbs. Now, the literary structure of the book of Proverbs, and I'll repeat this, that we gave back in the book of Psalms, and I think that we should give you this. The literary form of these Proverbs, it's in the form of couplets. And the two clauses of the couplet are generally related to each other. And it's termed parallelism. And that is Hebrew poetry. And there are three kinds of parallelism that you'll find in the book of Proverbs, what is known as synonymous parallelism. And the second clause restates what is given in the first clause in a little different way. Now, here's an example. Proverbs 19:29. Judgments are prepared for scorners and stripes for the back of fools. Now, there's antithetic or contrast parallelism. And here a truth which is stated in the first clause is made stronger in the second clause by contrast with an opposite truth. Now listen to this. This is an example. Proverbs 13, 9. The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked shall be put out. You see it? By contrast. And then there's synthetic parallelism. The second clause develops the thought of the first. Here you have it. The terror of a king is as the roaring of a lion. 
He that provoketh him to anger sinneth against his own life. That's Proverbs 20, verse 2. It's a very remarkable book, you see. And we're going to see wisdom and folly contrasted in the first nine chapters. Then the Proverbs of Solomon, written and set in order by himself, 10 through 24. Proverbs of Solomon, set in order by men of Hezekiah, 25 to 29. Then Oracle of Edgar, an unknown sage, chapter 30. And the Proverbs of a mother to Lemuel, and I believe that's Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. That's the last chapter, chapter 31. Now, we have just put on the introduction to the book of Proverbs today. Now, next time, we're going to start in the text, and I hope you'll be with us. May God richly bless you, my beloved. I'm so excited about this study in Proverbs. I hope you are too. If you want to find out about the many ways that we make this teaching available, and there's a bunch, you need to visit ttb.org or call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE. I'm Steve Schwetz, and as always, I'm going to be here next time saving a seat on the Bible bus just for you. Through the Bible exists to take God's whole word to the whole world. And we invite you to stand with us with your faithful prayer and financial support. Where will God's word go today?